Thank you so much, Casey. Um, if you're joining us online, I want to welcome you. My name is uh, Anthony Trask. I'm pastor here at Fellowship Church. And if you're joining us in-house, welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, it truly is a beautiful day. We've had a, a great week. Yesterday, I was worried. It was very, very bad weather yesterday. I was like, wow, it's beautiful today. It feels like March, and it's December the 5th. So I hope that you have um, started your Christmas season off right. Um, we slowly are... Um, we, we did decorate for Christmas here at the church. Uh, big thanks to those who helped do that. Um, and hope you've gotten to watch some Christmas movies this week. We've actually watched quite a few, and I've got to say something that's unpopular. is The best Christmas thing I watched on TV this week was the Christmas episode of Austin and Allie on the Disney, Disney Channel. It really warmed my heart and was very funny, uh, but we, we indulged in much more than that as well. Um, we want to let you know what we're doing here at Fellowship Church for slash on Christmas. Christmas falls uh, kind of an interesting date this year. It's on a Saturday, um, Saturday, December the 25th. And so we are going to be celebrating Christmas here at FC on um, Sunday the 19th. So Sunday, December 19th, we have Christmas service that just simply called Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, and Emmanuel means God with us. Uh, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. That's going to be Sunday, December 19th at 10 a.m., this time here, uh, 5 p.m., which is our normal evening service, and then we're also going to have a 7 p.m. service we have added. And so I'd encourage you to invite friends, family, neighbors, people who are in town to church to join you this uh, Christmas season here at church. Christmas is the easiest invite to church. We will preach the gospel uh, we'll likely have some baptisms, uh, a lot of fun things going on. Uh, Christmas is also a time where we, we, we intentionally try to be a little bit more traditional because we know there are things that people um, expect on Christmas. And so we want to mix tradition with, with new and creative things that we're doing as well. And so it's going to be a, a really great service. Um, and then the Sunday after Christmas, that's Sunday, December 26th, um, we're, we're just pausing. We're not having church that Sunday. Um, just spread the word. There won't be church on the 26th. We want to give our volunteers and our staff and, and all of you time to rest and, and enjoy yourself during that, that long Christmas week. And that week is very bizarre as it feels like it lasts like 30 years, the week between Christmas and New Year. And so we're not having church that Sunday, uh, but we will be coming back the next Sunday, the first Sunday of the new year, which is, I don't know what day in January it is. I think it's like the, the third or the second. Um, the first Sunday in January, we are starting a new series called um, Relationship Status, and we're going to be looking at relationships. I was like, yeah, it is called Relationship Status. That's a phone. That's a heart. That's a Relationship Status. Uh, is a single in a relationship, engaged, married, separated, divorced, widowed. It's complicated. How many of you are complicated people? Um, Y'all are. We're, we're all complicated people. And all of those kind of relationships are complicated. And so we're going to be looking at relationships kind of through a biblical worldview, and then we're going to get back into the book of Exodus. So with all that being said, um, if you have a Bible, if you could open up to Exodus chapter uh, 12, we're going to be looking at uh, 12.33 through 13.22. 12.33 through 13.22. We're not going to read every verse in in that chunk of scripture, uh, we're going to be walking through this account. And we have been in the book of Exodus now since the month of October. 
And we're going to wrap up the first part of this series next weekend. Next weekend is our finale of the first part of the series, um, the parting of the Red Sea. Um, But this week, we're going to be looking at the Israelites' literal exit from Egypt. And so, so far, uh, this last weekend that we met, we talked about God striking down the firstborn sons of all of Egypt in a final plague. And that final plague forced Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. And in that activity, each Israelite household uh, was to slaughter a lamb, was to wipe its blood over their doorposts. They were to cook unleavened bread. I actually, just as a side note, I kept going back to my study this week, and I was like, do you cook unleavened bread or do you bake unleavened bread? And the Bible says bake, and so they had to cook unleavened bread, bake unleavened bread. Um, they roasted the meat from the land. They, they could not uh, boil it. They had to roast it. They had to get dressed. They had to get packed. They had to get ready to leave in an instant and eat the meal very quickly with their family. For God would come around at midnight, and he would strike down the firstborn sons of Egypt. And as he saw the blood over the doorpost on the houses of the Israelites, he would spare their firstborn, so that they could escape slavery in Egypt and be free. That was God's intention for them. It's God's intention for us to be free. So Israel followed those instructions. They took part in that first Passover meal. The firstborn sons of Egypt did indeed die, including Pharaoh's son, Pharaoh demanded that Israel leave, and as we kind of ended last week, um, the audacity of Pharaoh to actually ask Moses to bless him on their way out. And so today, let's pick up Exodus 12, 33. We're going to look through um, these several paragraphs of Scripture, um, kind of uncover what's going on. I want to bring an implication uh, and, and an application for our lives. And then I want to invite you into what we're doing as a church related to these things. And so Exodus twelve thirty three says, The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. That means in a hurry. For they said, we will all be dead. So the Egyptians tell the Israelites, if you guys don't get out of here soon, not only have we experienced ten plagues, which has killed the firstborn of all of our households, but we will all die if you do not leave, which I believe is very true. And in verse 34, it says, The people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. So not only did they have to prepare unleavened bread without leaven, without yeast, because in preparing that, They could prepare it quickly, not waiting for the bread to rise so they could leave in an instant. But here we find out it was also so that they could bring it with them so that they could eat on the way. So whenever you are going somewhere, always have your kneading bowls and your bread prepared to bake in an instant. And remember last week, we talked about how it is very Pinterest-esque right now uh, to be all into sourdough bread. I have yet to have anybody bring me some this week. I'm waiting. Please uh, bring sourdough bread. And uh, I like it warm, somewhat crusty, uh, soft in the middle, just like Santa. Okay. Warm, crusty, soft in the middle. Ah, That works for Santa. 
I'm actually leaving here to be Santa right now. I'm going to be the saddest, skinniest Santa ever, but pray for me. I've got a pillow I'm going to put inside. Yeah, I've got to start eating. Uh, Mrs. Claus is very upset. So Exodus 12, 35 through 36. It says, The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. For they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold. That's a Christmas reference. Yukon Cornelius, silver and gold. Asked for silver and gold and for clothing. It didn't say that before, but they asked for silver, gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked for. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. It makes the Israelites sound like pirates. Like they they just plunder the Egyptians. But in reality, they're just like, take our stuff and get out of here. Because God wanted them to receive the the gold and the jewelry, the clothing. We'll find out here in a minute something else that they also plundered. The reason for this is Genesis 15. God told Abraham his descendants would be held captive in a foreign land, and after 400 years, they would be freed, and they would leave with great possessions. And we're going to find out in the month of January and February what this gold and silver is going to be used for. And so it says in verse 37, the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. This is a big crowd. 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. So what we learn as you read through Exodus 12 and 13 is that the day that they left Egypt, it was the actual anniversary of the day that they entered Egypt 430 years before. So they were in Egypt to the day, 430 years. And 430 years before this date, Jacob, also known as Israel, and his sons joined Joseph in Egypt. And when they joined Joseph in Egypt, there was approximately 70 people in their family. And now 430 years later, they had multiplied into upwards of 2 million people. So from 70 to 2 million. And as they left, verse 19 of chapter 13 says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you. And and he did. And you shall carry up my bones with you from here, from Egypt to the promised land that they would be going to, Cana, which we call today Israel. Now, because Joseph was an Egyptian official, a very wealthy, powerful Egyptian official, Joseph, he would have been uh, mummified. He would have been mummified and placed in a sarcophagus and laid to rest for 400 years there in the land of Egypt, approximately after his death. And then at the Exodus, I just, I love that Moses and Aaron and the elders of Israel, they remember this verbal pledge given to Joseph, and they, they literally are carrying his mummy with them all along the way. So as you read through the rest of Exodus, keep in mind that amongst all the things these two million people have, there is literally an Egyptian mummy that they're bringing with them that is the body of Joseph. If you want to do fascinating research, look on the internet. Don't buy everything you read, but just start researching the mummy of Joseph. You will find some amazing rabbit trails. So along with Israel, um, chapter 13, verse 38, it says, a mixed multitude went up with Israel and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. 
So not only do Israelites go, but also do foreigners from the land of Egypt. We've learned several times now that there are slaves in the land of Egypt that are not Israelites, and there are also people, citizens, who live in Egypt who are not Israelites and not Egyptians, and they're like, we don't like the Egyptians either. We want to stay with you guys. You guys are the ones that are always staying alive when everyone else is dying. We're out also. And so they go with Israel, and so too does the livestock. And remember, Egypt's livestock had died throughout the plagues. They only have several livestock left. And so now Israel literally leaves the house of Egypt essentially emptied. And so as they're leaving the land, God then, as you read through 12 and 13, God instructs them, continue this Passover observance every single year. In fact, not just the Passover meal, but I want you to participate in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So for seven days around Passover, all of the food that you eat, in particular the bread, will not have any yeast, any leaven in it. So for seven days you eat unleavened bread. And God tells them, gives them instructions to consecrate the firstborn of their households. That meant that any livestock that would be born from this day forward, the firstborn of all livestock would have to be sacrificed as an offering before the Lord. And for a firstborn child or a firstborn donkey, they would not, of course, sacrifice the firstborn child or donkey, um, but they would instead sacrifice a lamb to consecrate the firstborn child or donkey. Why donkey? It's because donkey was like having a car. Donkey was incredibly... um, expensive. It was a necessity. And so they didn't sacrifice the donkeys, but they would sacrifice a lamb in the donkey's place. Now, why would they do this? Well, the reason they would do this is because this would be a sign of remembrance. This would be a sign of dependence to them. In addition to the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that the cost for their freedom was the firstborn sons of Egypt. The cost for your freedom is the firstborn sons of Egypt, and so you will sacrifice the firstborn of all your livestock and consecrate for the firstborn of your children and your donkeys. And this relates to us today because we offer up our lives, the New Testament tells us, as a living sacrifice to God. We partake in communion like like we did a little more intentionally last week to remind us that God's Son was the cost for our freedom. So Egypt's son, the cost for Israel's freedom, but God's son is the cost for ours. And so we offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice. Everything we do, we do it for God. And we also partake in communion to remember constantly that it costs God's son. So we find out their travel plans in Exodus 13, verse 17 through 18 and verse 20. And I've got a map you can kind of glance at. And if you would like to see this map up close, I can get you a copy if you let us know. So it says in verse 17, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war, and then they would return to Egypt. So if they have to face battle right away, they're going to be disheartened and they're going to go back. We're going to find out they're going to try to do that anyways. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, or literally the Sea of Reeds. And it says, the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Now, this is news we we haven't heard yet before. So we know they leave with gold and silver. 
We know that they leave with clothing, but here it is at least strongly implied that they also leave with suits of armor, possibly leaving with weapons of warfare, which for the Egyptians would have been uh, spears in particular, bows, arrows, maybe some swords, though those would have been uh, highly valuable, but they're leaving with armor and with weaponry. Verse 20 says, they moved on from Succoth, and they encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. But I want to look specifically today at verse 17, where it says, God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines. God did not lead them by the way. And I want to take a quick side trail for a second. Have you ever made plans that did not work out? Has there ever been something that appeared to be the easier way, the quicker way to do something or to get somewhere, and you experienced a setback, and it seemed that that setback was a bad thing, was a curse, was something that was wrong, when in reality it was actually how God was providing for you and protecting you and caring for you? That is a lot like life. That is a lot like our life. We have dreams and plans and goals and schools we want to go to and jobs we want to have and men and women we think we should marry someday, things that we think we should get involved in. And sometimes the rug gets pulled out from under us and we don't get to proceed down that path. And it's not for bad that that happened, but it was actually God's plan all along that he wanted to stop you from going down a path that you should not go. This is what's going on here. And so don't be discouraged sometimes if your flight gets canceled. Don't be discouraged if the date gets canceled. Don't be discouraged if the marriage doesn't happen. Don't get discouraged. It's going to hurt. It's going to be difficult. It's going to stink. But sometimes it's for a reason. And all the time, God is working it together for good. So trust the plan. Trust in God and when he closes doors. People always say, Pastor, will you pray that God will open a door for me too? And I'm like, there's a lot of open doors. We don't need to pray for that. Instead, I want to pray that God closes doors that you shouldn't go down. So I'd encourage you, praying for open doors, that's a very Christianese thing to do, and it's okay. But I dare you to pray for doors to stop and to close in your face that you should not go down. I have found that to be far more helpful than open doors are when God actually closes doors in front of you. Let's get back on track. How did God lead them? If God did not lead them by way of the Philistines, how did God lead them? Is it just like an inkling they get? Is it a warm feeling in their bosom? Is it just simply a dream they had at night? Holy cow, I've had weird dreams this week. Uh, I talked to some of you who've had some strange dreams as well. Um, New medication can do wonderful and horrible things for your dreams. Um, When you have a dream where God tells you where you should go, don't always trust the dream. Trust God. Dreams are strange. 1321, it says, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night, the Lord went before them in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Uh, If you fast forward in the Bible, um, do some research. When did the cloud and the fire stop? That's actually very hard to determine. But this imagery of clouds and fire show up all throughout Scripture in association with the glory and the presence of God. 
from the burning bush on Mount Sinai to tongues of fire in Acts chapter 2, levitating above people's heads. From the cloud leading Israel, enveloping Moses within it on Mount Sinai as he receives the Ten Commandments. From the cloud resting on the tabernacle to Jesus ascending in the clouds in Acts chapter 1. To Jesus returning in the clouds in the book of Revelation. You see, this whole cloud and fire business, it's not just simple imagery, but it's literal objects described as clouds and fire. Now, I use the word in my notes, described, because this is how Moses and the people of Israel see it. You say, Pastor, was it literally a a, a literal pillar of flame levitating in the sky and a literal cloud during the day? And, And we have to say, we don't know, but this is what it looked like to them. How, how would you describe something that you have no words to describe? But it looks like fire. That's why in Acts chapter 2, when uh, tongues of fire come on the day of Pentecost, it's described by Luke as it's kind of like tongues of fire. And like, that's all I could do to describe it. So there's this fire by night or light at night and clouds by day. If we followed clouds nine months out of the year in Oregon, we would just be going in a circle constantly because <laughs> that's all there is. Except for lately, it's, it's been surprising. It's not simple imagery. This is, this is actual substance in the sky to guide them. Literal objects. So that Israel would always know where God was. That's kind of our point today. Where's God? How do you know where God is? Israel would always know where God was. And I love this. Israel would also always know where God was leading them. How can you always know where God is leading you? You see, God leads us from slavery in sin to freedom in Christ. We're on an exodus journey of freedom out of sin. Each and every one of us are walking through a wilderness in freedom right now from sin. And each of us are heading towards ultimate freedom upon the return of Jesus. But once we experience the freedom that Christians, that you and I as followers of Jesus, if that's you, once we experience the freedom that we possess, we have to keep walking in it. Because oftentimes we are freed from something, but then Ironically, we go back to it, enslave ourselves to it again, but then say we're still free from it. And that doesn't make any sense. We must continue to walk in freedom, remembering what gave us the freedom. We must continue to walk in freedom, honoring what gave us the freedom. We must continue to walk in freedom, being grateful for the thing that gave us freedom. That's why Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 1, I told you this would be kind of our verse of the year, and it it really is. Galatians 5, 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't go back to sin, but don't go out to hyper-religious behavior, which is trying to free you from sin, because that doesn't work either. Only Jesus can break the chains of slavery from sin. So keep your focus on him, not your good works, not your religious deeds, not what you do or don't do for God's kingdom, but keep your eyes on Christ and also keep your eyes off sin. Keep following him. Keep turning from and repenting from sin. You see, if we follow Jesus, 
to freedom. We have to continue to follow him in freedom. He's calling us to freedom, yes and amen. There will be a day and a time and an age where there is no, insert your vein of existence in that blank. There is a time and a day where there will be no death, there will be no sorrow, there will be no grief, there will be no bitterness, there will be no sin, there will be no 23rd variant of COVID-19. There is a time and a day where that is coming. And so if we follow him to freedom, we must continue to follow him in it. We've got to follow him in humility. We've got to follow him in submission. We have to follow him in worship, and we have to follow Christ in obedience. We've got to follow God who has always been at the forefront, and he has. God has always been at the forefront. There has always been a cloud in front of you. There has always been a pillar of fire before me at night. But the problem is, is that I allow so many things to get in the way so I cannot see it. Because it's so easy to be distracted by bad things. And I kind of think it's easier to get distracted by good things. There's a lot of good things in the world that are not good the ultimate God thing that we should actually be focusing on. And so we've got to follow him in freedom. We have to follow the God who's been at the forefront, the God who has always been leading us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's Psalms 23. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Notice it doesn't say he leads me in paths of righteousness for me. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for him. And when you are led in paths of righteousness, you say, what does that mean? It means he leads you down the right path for him. When you lead or when you're being led on the right path for God, on that path, it doesn't always look good, feel good, smell good, sound good, etc. Because immediately after that passage in Psalms 23, it then goes and says, even when... I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. And even when he does, it's for his namesake. The valley of the shadow of death, it might be the right path for now, but I don't need to fear because he's with me. And because it is a valley of the shadow of death, I don't know about you, but I imagine that as being very dark. And in a dark place, I know that there is always going to be a pillar of fire that's going to be leading me, walking me through, guiding me, and being with me all along the way. So just as God led Israel, just as he led them to freedom through the wilderness and into the promised land, so too right now does God lead you. He leads me. God leads us. Look at this verse in Isaiah 48. God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Speaking to Israel, this certainly applies to those who follow him. He says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit. It basically means when I teach you, it's for your good. doesn't mean we're going to be Scrooge McDuck jump, jumping in a uh, bank of coins. It just means I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit. I, I'm teaching you for your good. And I lead you in the way that you should go. Here again, God, God reiterates. This is, this is about 500 years after Psalms 23, where God tells David that we are led 
down paths of righteousness for God's sake. Here God tells Isaiah, I lead you in the way you should go. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene 500 years after the book of Isaiah is written, it's more like 700 years before, um, after the book of Isaiah is written, when Jesus shows up, when Jesus wants people to follow him, what does he invite them to do? He says, follow me. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me and there is this promise that if you follow Jesus, he's going to lead us somewhere good. But when you look at the lives of the disciples, I'm kind of like, okay, um, beheaded, um, boiled alive in oil, stabbed with a sword, thrown off the temple mount, fed to lions, torn in two. It's like, that doesn't sound like a fun path. But Jesus, follow me. Follow me. If you follow me, it's the right path. It's actually for your good. It's actually for my name's sake. So just as Jesus invited people to follow him, so too is him leading us an invitation that we must respond to. So he, he asked people to follow him, and he is now leading us. He's giving us an invitation that we have to respond to. You see, Jesus is the cloud and the fire. And we must choose whether or not we will follow where it is he is leading. You ever have a family member that's like, hey, follow me. You're visiting them. You're in a new city. You have no idea where you're going. They're like, trust me, you don't need the GPS. Just follow me. My, my father-in-law um, took me on a journey a couple of weeks ago. He's like, meet me in this city. We're going to go to this city, and you've got to be here at this time. And, you know, don't trust the GPS. Just follow me. And I'm like, I don't trust you. <laughs> I'm going to put on the GPS. And he was, like, reluctant to give me the address. And he gets in his truck, and he's just like, <laughs> and I'm just, like, trying so hard to keep up. And it's, sometimes it's really hard to follow leaders, but you see, Jesus is inviting us to follow him. And, and even though Jesus may lead us down some rough roads, he's going to be make sure that he, he's visible, that he knows exactly where he is. We're going to always know where that pilot car is driving. And with Jesus, um, the GPS we have is different, and we'll talk about that in a second. So if God leads us, just like he led Israel, if Jesus invited people to follow him, and if we're following him, how does he lead me right now? How can I be led by God? And really, this is the, the proverbial question that the church has been asking for 2,000 years. How do I know I'm in God's will? How do I know I'm going in the right direction? Well, there's three ways that God leads us. Number one, God leads us with his word. Psalms 119, 105. David says about God's word, your word is a lamp to my feet. Well, that's that whole path imagery again, isn't it? It's that journey. It's that map. It's that in the wilderness. It's going around the Philistines. It is heading toward the Red Sea. Your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. So, so many people say, what's God's will for my life? And you might say, well, what does the Bible say? And they say, I don't know. And you say, why? And they say, because I've only read the verse of the day on version. The verse of the day on version 
is like one traffic cone in a planet full of highways. It's good, but you don't know the context if you don't know the road. And so David says, if I want to know where I'm going, if I want to have a light on my path, if I want to have a lamp on my feet, the only way I know where to go, the only GPS I have, the only pilot car in front of me, it's got to be God's Word. Because when you acknowledge God, He makes your way straight. But if you don't acknowledge Him, you're not going to have a very straight path. If you don't know the directions, you're not going to have a very straight path. And sometimes when you use GPS, it will take you down like a logging road instead. And you get stuck in a blizzard and, and it could get bad. Sometimes it leads you through a field and you're like, I don't think this is the road. If you want to have true lights on your path and a lamp at your feet, you've got to know the way to go. And so Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your, what's the word? All your ways. All your ways. Acknowledge him. And it says, he will make straight your path. And so it's okay to walk in the dark. It's okay to go off trail and not know where we are in life. But if we know God's word and if we choose to acknowledge his word and acknowledge him in all of our ways, not knowing where we're going, he's like, don't worry, I've got you. You're going to end up at the right place. But if you don't have that lamp, if you don't have that light, if I'm not straight in your path, life is going to be much more difficult and you might not even get to where you're supposed to go. So God leads you by his word. He leads us by His Spirit. Galatians 5, Paul says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these things are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Jesus says in John 16, the Spirit leads us to and in all truth. So we have to rely on the Word, and once we know the Word, then we can rely on the Spirit. Here's something that's controversial, but hear me out. You can't rely on the Spirit if you don't know the Word, because you don't know the Spirit that's going to be guiding you. But if you know God's Word, and when the Spirit of the Lord does guide you, you'll be able to check it on the map of God's Word and look, oh, this is something God wants me to do. But if you just follow the Spirit and it just feels good and it feels tingly and it feels amazing and you're all about you and comfort and all the crazy cool things and powers the Spirit enables you to do, make sure it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives those things. But if you don't know the map, the GPS, the way, the light, the lamp, if you don't know that, you're going to be on a pretty wild ride. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are real, they're active, they're tangible today, they're beautiful, they're wonderful, they do bring comfort, but man, they bring with them a lot of responsibility, and you better know God's word if you're going to follow his spirit. So what's the spirit saying to you? Is it the flesh or is it the spirit? Well, if I hook up with, with this guy, it feels good to my flesh, and I think God will kind of 
give an excuse. He'll make a way for me. It's okay. I'm under grace. I'm not under the law. If I just simply, it's just a couple of nights of just completely losing my mind drunk. That's okay. Um, That's the flesh, guys. The world tells you follow your heart. The Bible says the heart is deceptive above all things. It's desperately sick. It cannot be trusted. Follow the Spirit. Test what the Spirit is telling you. Does it line up with the truth of His Word? Are you confirming what the Spirit says with others? If you're ashamed to tell brothers and sisters in Christ what you believe the Spirit is telling you to do, it's probably not the Spirit. It's probably your heart, your flesh. So God leads through His Word. He leads through His Spirit. And finally, He leads through godly leaders and through the church. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says this. He says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Some translations, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So we have to have leaders in our life, spiritual mentors, godly leaders, elders, pastors that we can look up to, that we know know the word, that we know hear from the spirit, that we know listen to voices above them. We have to follow godly leaders as they follow Christ. And so God gives us leaders to equip us for the work of the ministry. God gives us leaders to follow in godliness. And you might say to yourself, the problem with that, Anthony, is that leaders have let me down. And oh, yes, they do. They will. They have. They are right now. But that's why Paul doesn't say, follow me. Because following Paul would be following a thorn in his flesh. Paul, following Paul would be um, him doing the things he didn't want to do and the things he wanted to do he didn't do. But following Paul as he followed Christ, that led the way, and that's how God chooses to do it. God gives us people to ride in the car with us, and it's called leaders, and it's called the church. It's called community, and because community has people, people suck. People make things so complicated. But if you're not doing it with them, you're not doing it God's way. You see, God gives us the church for accountability. God gives us the church for encouragement. God gives us the church to support us. God gives us the church to strengthen us. God gives us the church to challenge us. And through these things, lead one another. So God actually uses the church as a whole to lead the church. And I I heard far too many stories this week. And I, I read far too many social media comments this week of people saying, I don't go to church. I gave up on the church. I don't need the church. Um, The church is just organized religion. It's a business. It's this, it's that, it's this, it's that, it's this, it's that. Well, you're being disobedient. I know it's hard. I know there's hypocrites there. I'm one of them, and so are you. I know that people sin in church because you are right now by your attitude toward the church. I get it. But we have to do it. Jesus called us into his family, brothers and sisters in Christ. We can't say, Jesus, I love you, but I hate your bride, the church. And so I just want you, but I don't want the church. But then scripture rectifies that and says, you can't love God and hate people. You can't hate people and love God. It's it's, it's both. It's both and. And so is the church messy? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there people who gossip and who are bitter and tear people down in churches? Oh, totally. And whenever someone comes to this church from another church that hurt them, they'll always say, 
I came here because this and this and this and this and this happened at another church. And if I'm being extra spicy and bold and truthful, I'll say, oh, you'll experience that here too. You'll experience that wherever you go. You experience it at work. You experience it in your family. You experience it in your friend group. And you're going to experience it at church because there's people there. Trust me, it's hard. It's difficult. But the church leads us also. And as Moses and the Israelites would find out, following God when he leads is not easy. Sometimes following God leads you right into the Red Sea. Last verse we'll read. Um, Matthew 16, 24 through 25, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He goes on to say, what good is it if someone gains the whole world but loses their soul. So Jesus, he follows up his invitation. Follow me. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me. And when you follow me, if you really want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to pick up your cross and then follow me. And what Jesus is saying is you have to be willing to die. You have to be willing to die to self. You have to be willing to die to popularity. You have to be willing to die to the desire to fit in. You have to be willing to die to whatever the world says that you need. You have to be willing to literally die. Peter, if you want to follow me, you've got to be willing to be crucified upside down. But Jesus, what about the guy you love, John? How is is he going to die? Remember, Peter asked Jesus that, and he's like, Peter, none yet not your business. And I just see Peter in heaven like, oh, there he is getting boiled alive. (laughs) But he didn't die. Dang it, John, again, beating me to the tomb. You got to be willing to die. There is a pillar of fire in front of you at night, and there is a cloud in front of you during the day. Follow it. Be led. Give up whatever it takes to go. Whatever it takes to go, give it up. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's ironic that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt because the Egyptians were all about holding on to stuff, holding on to all of their worldly possessions in death as if they thought they could take it with them. But 4,000 years later, we're still digging up their stuff, and they're still not using it. you got to give up whatever it takes to go, because what you gain will be worth whatever you've got to leave. God's God's leading. There's a cloud. There's fire. Follow it. Follow it. Follow it. Follow it. Follow it. I'm going to finish this time as as, uh, Casey will come up here in just a minute, lead us in a closing song. But I want to, um, I was thinking about this this week, uh, met with another pastor this week who's closing down their church. And I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. 
So many brothers and sisters in Christ are, are lost as their churches are, are closing down. We're, you're not seeing this in other parts of the country as much as we are in the Northwest. And there, there's, there's just got to be a burden there, guys. There's got to be a burden. There has to be a burden for the lost. There has to be a burden for the church. And I have heard and I listen to time and time again of people who are leaving this state, leaving this place every single week I find out someone that's leaving. And I don't question them leaving, by the way. Uh, four of our city's largest churches uh, of six, have, have, their pastors have left in the last year. And we can tell the stories, like stories of Abraham, where God tells Abraham to leave all he knows and follows him. But I want to hear some testimonies of people who are called to stay. God doesn't always call you to leave. God oftentimes calls us to stay. So I want you to ask yourself during these next couple of years, like, am I called to stay? And I literally mean in this state, by the way, just to make it very clear. Am I called to stay or am I called to leave? And if you're called to leave, then we will bless you as you go. And we will be envious of the prices you pay for your home (laughs) and the amount that you are not taxed. But why don't we bless people who are called to stay? Why don't we celebrate people who are called to stay? I was talking to someone this week, and I said, I asked them, because they literally have nothing holding them here. And I said, why are you staying? Why why are you here? And, And he just said, because if we leave, the light that we have leaves with us. The salt that we are leaves with us. And this person didn't think that they were holding up the spiritual health of the state, but they knew that they were one of many. So people got to be called to stay. And I just want to just go over, a couple of months ago, we just went over some vision points as a church, and I felt strongly led to share those with you as I close today. And if you're called to stay, I want you to listen carefully. Our mission as a church is this. This church, the mission, is to connect people to an everlasting, committed relationship with Jesus Christ and with others. That's what we're about. That is what we are about. And we have this DNA statement, a a kind of a cultural statement about us as a church, a value, if you will. And that value is this, is that we're the Coast Guard, not the Yacht Club. And this idea of being the Coast Guard and not the Yacht Club, it says it's not about us and being comfortable. It is about reaching those who are perishing without Christ and exponentially growing his kingdom. In this day and age, I have learned, as I have observed this church and every other church, it is very easy right now to be the Yacht Club, just to exist for yourself, to to engage in a holy huddle where you kind of ignore the world and you build a wall around you. And I want to tell you, it's not time to do that. It is still, it always has been not about being about us. So if if you're looking for a church that's like, you know, I really want a place where I can just be comfortable and don't have to get involved, and don't have to know anyone, and don't have, this is just not the right place. Because this is not about us and being comfortable. It's about reaching those who are perishing without Christ. Because of that, our vision as a church, we have a vision, what we want to do. Our vision is to be a, a multiplying movement of passionate followers of Jesus who impact their community and beyond with grace, love, and hope. Now is the time to impact now is the time to multiply. Now is the time 
to join hands with brothers and sisters in Christ in this city and say, let's reach a city together with brother and sister churches. You can say, we, we, we care. We can do it. We're not closing down. We're called to stay. We're not, we're not leaving. And with seeing so many churches shut down and so many pastors leave, a couple months ago we introduced you to this idea of free church. And a couple people were like, and it's not a good idea to change the church's name. Um, why would we do that? And I'm telling you, now is the time to do that. Because now is the time where people need to be reached in a way that they have not before, and free communicates what we want people to be set free. Set free in Christ. Set free from sin. Set free from addiction. Set free from whatever is causing them to be enslaved as we seek freedom in Christ. And so a lot of people say, well, why why are we doing that? It's because there is a great opportunity to reach people right now that no one is reaching by doing things that no one is doing. And so we're moving towards being FC still, but free church instead of fellowship church. And so We'll let you know when that transition is going to happen. And I mentioned a couple months ago, we need some help with that transition. And actually, on our app, there's a registration. If you want to help with that transition, we need a lot of hands to help with it. But I want to invite you to get and to be free. We want to continue to reach this city. This week, I had people contact me. Can you help pay for our rents? We had a space open up that someone said, do you want to use this for your youth ministry? Do you want to use this to start a service in downtown Salem? We have this because we're closing, we're leaving, we're doing this. I'm like, yeah, but can you give it to us for free? We're free church after all. (laughs) And the answer is no, they can't. But I'm telling you, there are opportunities right now all about, all around. But it's going to take sacrifice to see those things take place. And so we do want to start a school. We have about 30 people show up at an interest meeting, and we started to send emails out to people who say, here's some things that you can do to help us get going. We want to buy that building up on the street for that school. We don't have a dollar to do it. So we, we need resources. We need to move towards the freedom God is walking us into. A lot of you have been asking about missions. Missions is certainly complicated during COVID, isn't it? Um, but one of our assistant pastors, Paula Lehman, and I had a meeting a couple of weeks ago with uh, Chiago and Danny in Brazil, and we actually did schedule our first um, exploratory trip there. It's going to be this year at the end of the last week of May, the first week of June. So we're taking a small group with us to Brazil. If you're interested, um, there's a registration for that. Paula has everybody who's interested. We're going to start rolling that ball um, as we set up this exploratory trip to see how we can partner with what they're doing in a couple cities in Brazil. Uh, Chiago asked us today to pray for him as he is uh, teaching a church evangelism in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, And he's there um, witnessing in the street, witnessing at different events throughout the city. And he said to pray for him because in this season, the drug cartel is uh, very powerful in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, But he's there. And we have opportunities in countries around the nation, or countries around the world that need churches right now to step in and say, hey, we'll go, we'll be, we won't leave, we'll, we'll stay with you. And we know there's hoops to jump through, but we're willing to jump through some of those hoops. And we think it's still appropriate to spread the gospel even during a pandemic. We're burdened right now for discipleship. Church 
in our culture has just become a place to come and hear a sermon and sing, but are we really discipling people to grow in their faith in Jesus? Uh, we're working on that. One of the things of changing over to free church is um, something we're going to introduce next year called Freeway. Um, deliberate steps in mentoring that we can offer people who want to take their next step in Christ. We need a lot of help with that. Say, well, Pastor, what's needed for this? Number one thing is you guys need to connect with each other. You need to connect with each other. That's the, the, big, the big shout I'm hearing from every church I hear is like, it's really hard to get people to connect right now because of everything going on in the world. And I'm like, I get it, I know, but it's time to do it again. It's time to connect. I just want a tiny, tiny way that we're trying to encourage some connection is uh, by starting activities following our Sunday night service. There is no agenda at those except for that you would connect. That's it. Um, last week, I didn't get a chance to go, but I guess a lot of people went bowling. Bowling's not spiritual, Pastor. You don't get it. This is about connecting with people. Uh, tonight, we're going to the yard at 7 p.m. My wife and I will be there. Um, I'd love to interact with you. love to get to know and to connect with some people. Um, biggest complaint I hear at this church is um, I haven't connected with anybody. I'm like, well, have you done any of these things? No. Okay, we'll do it. Let's, let's connect. We need people to connect. We need people to serve. Not because the church needs people to serve, but because serving is the way you connect with people. Serving is the way that you can minister to other people. So there's lots of opportunities to serve. And then finally, we need people to give. Uh, the majority of people who call this church home uh, don't contribute financially. I'd encourage you to contribute financially. Encourage you to tithe so that when you have someone says, here's this space, here's this thing, can you do it? We don't have to say, no, we're making sure we can pay the bills we have right now. But if people were contributing, we could do these things. So I'd encourage you, contribute, tithe, give, look for opportunities to give above and beyond your tithe to special projects, things that you can give to. Uh, last year, people were very generous during the height of COVID, not so much this year. Um, we, we like blew out of the water. Our goal is to bless families last year at Christmas. This year, we've barely made a dent on what we want to do to help families for Christmas. If you haven't given to holiday giving, uh, do it today. If you've given something already, um, give again. We, we, wanna, we want to bless at least 10 families. Last year, we had to add families because we had more money than what we had planned on. Stimulus checks are good for that, aren't they? Yeah. But God still has resources for us, guys. Look for ways to give. Look for ways to invest into families. We want to give money to families not give them food at their doorstep, not buy them a generic toy and leave it at their door, but let families decide what they want to do for their family at Christmas. So I'm asking you, if anything, today, if you could say, well, what, what's one very tangible thing I could do today? Would you give to that, please? Would you give to that today, please? If you're watching online, if you're in-house, just text the word HOLIDAY to 84321. The dollar amount, every penny will go toward, toward blessing those families. We're walking towards freedom. God's leading us. We just have to say and ask ourselves, will we go? Will we follow? And my answer is yes, I'll follow. But the tension is, I've got to pick up my cross and follow. How many of you are willing to do that? So God, we pray you'd bless, bless this word. I pray that you would show us um, where you are. Show us the pillar of cloud and fire in front of us and help us to follow as you lead. God, let us see you, 
hear your voice, know your voice, follow your voice. God, if there's anyone here today that does not know your voice, I pray they would put trust in you. Make you, um, as your word says, the shepherd of their life so that they, as your sheep, would hear your voice, recognize it, and follow it. Thank you, God, for your grace, your life, your death, your resurrection, your forgiveness, your new and free life in Christ that you give. Let us receive that humbly in faith. God, for each person here who who follows you, who doesn't know the direction to go, put a hunger in their heart for your word. Give them a receptive heart to hear your spirit, not their own heart. Um, Help them to um, submit themselves under godly leadership to connect themselves with brothers and sisters in Christ who can help them lead the way for one another. God, as, as, as one local church, I pray that we would step into the freedom that you're calling us to and that we would be proud in you that you've called us to stay. You've called us to continue. You've called us to move forward. And it's not the time to cease, to dissolve, or to stop. In Jesus' name.